one quick announcement. I talked about um, some of the Bible studies topics coming up. I, I typed this page up. It's back on the uh, bulletin board going back there. And these are some of the Bible studies we'll be doing on um, Sunday morning and on Wednesday. And then some other ones I might pick and choose. So take a look at that. What's, what's nice about the way we're going to do this um, series for the next little bit is they're somewhat related, but they're not built on each other. So if you're one of those people that can't commit to every Wednesday or, or every other Sunday when we do this, you can step right in. You're not going to be playing catch up or anything like that. Each of these studies is, is independent to that, that day's uh, 45 minutes to an hour we spend on it. So I want to encourage you to come. We dive into God's word. We have very good discussions around the table. And honestly, it's that sharing of what this verse means. Uh, what we've experienced in our lives, it really makes it a good experience. Otherwise, it's just a lecture, and that's what happens here on Sunday. So the Bible studies is just another way to engage. So I do want to encourage you, again, Sunday mornings, 8.30, and Wednesdays at 7. This morning's message is called The Gentle Rain. As you know from the uh, scripture to remember, I talked about God's sovereign power. I'll read it again. It was, Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth, by your great power and outstretched arm, nothing is too hard from you. Jeremiah 32, 17. And our responsive reading talked about the, the power of God and, and that. And so we have a powerful God. And, and when we read from the First Testament, we tend to think that we have this vengeful God, right? That he is going to just smite thee for, for breaking commandments. And there is a measure of discipline. But we're going to talk about the gentle reign of God this morning. Now, last Sunday, in, in both the morning message and as a part of the annual report for the congregational meeting, I shared that we will be spending the remainder of this year using the First Testament as a primary source of Scripture. As we prepare for the Advent season and ultimately the arrival of Jesus Christ as marked by the Christmas holiday, we're going to unpack how God is the source of the Advent themes of hope and love and joy and peace. Right? God is the source of these things. And these are manifested, they're exemplified, they're taught, and they're obtained through Jesus Christ. But they originate with God. God is the one who sent Jesus. And as Christians, we tend to focus on the Gospels and the good news of the New Testament. And, and it's very important that we do this. But I don't want us to overlook the rest of the story or, more accurately, the beginning of the story. The nature of God is revealed throughout the Bible. And it starts on the first page with creation and is expressed throughout every single page. Now, if I were to ask you what word describes the nature of God, certainly most would revolve around the theme of love. We talk about him being caring and forgiving and merciful and protecting, and, and these all reflect his love. And we know that the Greek words for love describe the various kinds of love. We've talked about eros, which is romantic love, and storge, which is the kind of love we have for our children, and philia, which is friendly or uh, friendship or brotherly love. And then there's agape love. This is divine love. Now, as a result of the English language, we use the same word to describe both the way we feel about something we really like and, and even our spouses with the same word, like, right? I love Twizzlers. I love Sherry. So we, we attempt to differentiate the context by adding words such words as very, like, I love Twizzlers, they're delicious. But I really love Sherry very much. When I wrote this, she was going to be here on the fir first row. So she'll listen online and I'll get brownie points. But you see how that works. Now, guys, make sure you do this in the right order, right? We, we love football. We love hunting. We really love our spouses. 
But when God talk, when we talk about God's love for us, this agape love, we describe it as unconditional. That makes sense to us, right? No matter what we do, he loves you no matter what. You are his creation, his treasure, his prized possession, scripture says. And this makes us feel good. And it's a source of our hope because the love of God um, or the God of everything who is all powerful, all knowing everywhere, he loves you, right? We talk about a sovereign power and with that power, he loves you. God's love is said to be unconditional and in the expression of God's love for us in in his death on the cross or Jesus' love and the death on the cross is said to be unconditional. And the love which Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 13 is called unconditional. In fact, I'm going to take a look at that verse. If you want to read along, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You're going to recognize a lot of this. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Then he goes on the part you're familiar with. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And then it says, love never fails. It says, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For no in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And then the last sentence, which we're very familiar with, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Now that's good stuff, and it, it describes ideal love so well, what it is and even what it isn't. And it's appropriate that we read these verses during wedding ceremonies, because they remind us of the definition and importance of real, true love and is the type of love that, that we aspire to give others. That is what we are commanded to do. That's what we desire from others. And as I was preparing the message, I discovered that, there, that no biblical writer uses the term unconditional to describe the love of God, Christ, or the love to which we are called to love one another. That actual word unconditional I could not find. And I assume we add this word unconditional to help us understand the nature of the pure and high form of love to which we are called. And I would describe it as unconditional, but that word itself I could not find. But that word isn't entirely baseless. In Exodus 34, 6 through 7, we find one of Moses' interactions with God, and it reads, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and aggression of sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generations. 
The word in Hebrew is hesed. And this means things like steadfast love, which is what the NIV said, or loving kindness. Maybe you're familiar with that term. Or mercy or mercies or goodness. This type of description of God's love is linked to an abounding, a promised or covenant love. And it's described elsewhere in the First Testament. Again, the First Testament book of Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. Deuteronomy 7, 12. If you pay attention to these laws and are careful to follow them, then the Lord your God will keep his covenant of love with you as he swore to your ancestors. And lastly, 2 Chronicles 6, 14. Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or earth. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants who continue wholeheartedly in your way. Now, unconditional love feels good, but a covenant of love made by God, that's powerful stuff from the one who reigns. Keep this definition and description of God's love in mind as we read scripture about God's love compared to ours. If you want to read along, open your Bible to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to start at verse 7. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit that we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so they know and rely on the love God has for us. It ends with this paragraph. It says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. It says, we love because he first loved us. This is love, it says, not that we love God. He doesn't love us because we loved him. It is his desire, but he does not depend on your love like we depend on his. He loves us as a choice and as a promise, a covenant promise. It says this is a promised love that he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice of our sins. And it says God is love. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. God loves you as a choice, and he made a covenant promise based on that choice. If this type of divine love that softens, it is this type of divine love that softens God's sovereign power. We don't have to fear a vengeful, wrathful God. Now, he is a good, just father, and there will be discipline and consequences, but there's nothing to fear. And I don't mean that his power is diminished because he's a loving God. I mean that, that it's not a power of wrath and fear, but a power made uh, of choice made by the one who has 
the right and the ability to make choices based on a limitless knowledge and options. He can love you or not. He can choose how he loves you. He's got all this power and all this knowledge. And he says, all this, I love you. And I love you. And I love you. Again, he doesn't love you because he has to. It's the psalmist in 115.3 reminds us, says, our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. God makes a divine promise to love you. That is because it is his choice and it pleases him to do so. We don't love God because we're afraid not to. We love him because we choose to love him back. Making this choice and accepting him's promise of love gives us some assurances and, and we call this hope. And this lets us know that we have nothing to fear because the God loves us. He will take care of us and provide for us. We're familiar with Paul's words from Romans 8, 28. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Now think about that a second. Know those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. Does this verse coupled with the knowledge that God has a choice to love us mean that love is actually conditional? Pastor John C. Free answers this question this way. He says, the love of God is and remains a covenant love. It is selective. It is focused. It endures. It nurtures growth. It is calculating and creative. It is entirely beneficent. It is disciplinary and corrective. It is steadfast, eternal. It is natural. It is expressive of who God is. It is consequential, it is promissory, and it is conditional. Covenant love is love that a person experiences as we enter a relationship with God and God has ordained this love, this relationship. Unconditional love is what a person experiences as he enters in a relationship with God as a human imagines it, right? Because we automatically say, God must love me because, uh, or unconditionally love because no matter what I do, that's how God loves. But there are some conditions that we must follow. We must be called to his purpose. We must accept him. And that's what makes that covenant relationship. Covenant love is experienced as a person believes in the promises and prop, uh, propositions of the gospel. Promises of forgiveness and salvation to those who believe and of judgment on those who are callous, evil, un unbelieving. Unconditional love is experienced as a person reflect on the philosophical ideal of humanism that man is essentially good and that it is the place of the love of God to inspire the best within the human spirit. Again, not all bad things. But there are some conditions that, that we're called to do. We can't just do what we want and say God loves us. Covenant love is eternal. God extends himself in his covenant of grace to abide with humankind forever. And these covenants, we're going to review them in a couple weeks. And, and these covenant promises were made long ago, and many, many of them, and they're still in force today. A covenant love considers a person and their behaviors together. Conditional love, on the other hand, requires that a person experience the concept, or I'm sorry, unconditional love considers a person's and their behaviors together. They, a covenant love requires a person experience the consequences of their action until they repent. That is a condition, and we know it's there. 
unconditional love gives the freedom to make our own choices, to live our own life and do what we want with it, perhaps even providing a safety net so we won't hit too hard when we hit bottom. Now, we, we call this grace and mercy, but we need to understand that there's a condition to this grace and mercy, and it starts by accepting the gift. Covenant love confronts us with the character of our actions, challenges us to acknowledge and change, repent, and offers us a new heart. It offers us a new identity, a renewed mind, and and a sustaining presence to give us the power to overcome our sinful addictions. We may not regain all that we have lost or thrown away when we sin and repent, but covenant love offers us more than we had to begin with as far as hope and purposes in life are concerned. See, covenant love is conditional. You know, when Sherry and I got married, we made a covenant vow to each other. And there was a, a condition of faithfulness and reciprocity of love and respect. And, and marriages work because of that. I'm not saying they, they can't work around those issues, but I'm saying that we do. We have, these, we have these conditions to our covenant love we make. Because of the conditions that are embedded in the divine covenant, I know a certainty that of what is expected of me, and you should know what's expected of you in order to receive the promises of God through faithfulness and obedience and repentance. And I don't want to live my life with that kind of certainty. I don't. Unconditional love has a good feel to it, but covenant love is it's a higher form of love. It's far more beneficial. It's far more godlike and far more elevating the human spirit than unconditional love. And Jesus himself said it. He said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, there's a condition, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. That's John 15, 9 through 10. I just want to share one more illustration. Daniel Gilbert, he's a Harvard psychologist. He studies happiness. And one thing he discovered is that married people are happier than those who just live together. He uses himself as an example. He said he and his girlfriend had been living together for about a dozen years. But because of his discovery that, that being committed makes you happier, being in a marriage, he proposed marriage to her. Now, that doesn't sound really romantic, but maybe he did a better job than I'm explaining it. So a gentleman was interviewing him. And he said, how'd that work out for you? He said, you know what? I love my wife more than I love my girlfriend, even though she's the same person. Here's the, here's the really poignant message. Commitment isn't just a sign of love. It's a cause of love. Commitment isn't just a sign of love. It's a cause of love. God can command a man to love his wife because God already knew that commitment is a cause of love. Sometimes the action of loving someone wholeheartedly precedes the feeling of love. When we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, when we say, God, I, I love you and I repent for my sins and, and please help me to be different, to be changed, we are making that commitment. And our love based on that commitment is much stronger when we do it in that order. So can we have and keep this kind of love, this covenant love between us, between us and God? Certainly, he's holding up his part. Can we keep it between us and others around us? Well, that. That's the commandment. If you think about it, that is what he's commanding. And that is how God, this all power for God, reigns over all of creation with this gentle reign of love. You know, he loves us so much. And even, even those that, that persecute his people, all that, it's, 
Um, he still loves them. I found an interesting story. I'm, I'm obviously in seminary. I'm doing a lot of study on the Hebrew Bible. And the Hebrew Bible is, in many respects, the we have taken it and called the, the Old Testament, the First Testament. But just like we have some additional books that are not included there, they do as well. And one of these books, would you, would you go ahead and click the slide one time? I was reading, and it's a story. Back one, if you can. Whoops. Oops. <laughs> I was reading the story, and this is when Moses had come to the Red Sea. And he, I won't expect you to read in Hebrew, I cannot. Um, but this, this book, Sanhedrin 39a, it's also in the Megillah. I don't remember the verse of that, which is, is another book that tells the story from the Israelites, the Hebrews' journey. And this is, so if you take this into context, they had just crossed the Red Sea. It had parted, and the Pharaoh's wheels were stuck. The army was, was getting drowned, okay? It says, In that hour, the ministering angels wished to utter the song of praise before God, but God rebuked them, saying, My handiwork, the Egyptian, is drowning in the sea. Would you utter song before me? God loves his creation, all creation so much, that even though he had to destroy this pursuing army to keep his covenant promise to rescue the Israelites as they fled the Red Sea, and the angel was like, Yes, God, all-powerful, and God's saying, No. Don't you see? I love them too, and they had to die. This to me was really profound. And again, it doesn't compete with what, what we're reading in the Exodus stories of, of this. It's just an, an additional work that is, uh, was written by the Hebrew people. But I love that, that image of God. as Because when we try to reconcile God and destruction and war and, you know, he... And he, he you know, drove the people out of the promised land before the Israelites came in. You go, God, how can you be a loving God in this? And sometimes things happen and it breaks his heart and he loves us all the same. My handiwork is drowning the sea. Don't utter a song of praise. This is a sad moment. Go ahead and change it. But this is how God reigns over all creation with a gentle reign, a powerful reign, but one based on love. First Chronicles 16.31 says, Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns, and he reigns with a covenant love. Let's offer a prayer of gratitude this morning for this blessed gift. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, creative, creator of all, you declared it all good and you love it all. Lord, there are times when we just want to believe we can do what we want and you will love us with unconditional certainty. And certainly that brings peace to us. And you certainly love us despite a lot of our failures and flaws and shortcomings. But God, it's a covenant law and that's just so much more powerful than an unconditional love because you have knowingly chosen to enter this promise with us that says you will love us we only have a couple things that we have to do, a couple conditions. That is, accept the love. And Lord, sometimes that's hard because sometimes we can't love ourselves. We can't love our family members, our friends, our neighbors, other people that disagree with us. And certainly sometimes we can't love ourselves. But you call us to love ourselves and others just as you love us with this covenant promise that you accept all of these things. And when we repent, when we say, Lord, I'm sorry for what I've done. When our friends who, who hurt our feelings say, I'm sorry for what I've done. When our spouse hurts us and we say, I'm sorry for what we've done. Or they say they're sorry for what we've done. Lord, we know that we are to 
extend the same kind of grace and love that you show us. Father, that's tough. Lord, as we strive to be more and more like you, more and more like the, the example of your son that you sent, we, we thank you for softening our hearts, for giving us a willingness and more importantly, an ability to change where change is needed. Father, we ask for your perspective on those parts of our lives. Lord, as we enter this Thanksgiving holiday and, and prepare for the Advent season, which looks for the coming gift of your son in this world, we thank you for the hope that means, the hope that provides. All of this is just examples of this, this wonderful gift of love that you have for us. We thank you for being that. Lord, we thank you for the hope. May all we do this morning please you. May we be changed for what we've heard and not disheartened to hear that there's conditions, but empowered because we know what those conditions are. And when we accept your son, Jesus Christ, we accept those upon ourselves and we rejoice in the blessing that accompanies. In his name we pray, amen.